Welcome, and thank you so much for tuning in to Rock Church's message. We are so excited that you are here today. We hope that you leave today encouraged and know that you are loved by God. Maria Dyer was born in 1837 on the mission field in China where her parents were missionaries. But Maria's parents both died when she was a very small girl, and so she was sent to live with her uncle in England. The loss of her parents was overwhelming, but they had already had an opportunity by the time she was just this young lady to embed in her mind the love of God and how God wants us to share that love with other people around the world. By the time she was 16 years old, she had already made up her mind that she was going to go with her sister back to China to pick up the plans that her parents had made to reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. While she was there, after she moved there, she met a young man by the name of Hudson Taylor. If you know anything about missions, you will recognize his name right away because he is known to be the father of modern missions as we know it. He's the one that instilled in his own children a desire to reach other people with a simple gospel. The gospel is quite simple. Only those that believe in the name of Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for their sins, and he rose the third day. That's the gospel. Only those who cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation to be saved when they leave this life, only those people will go to heaven. It is a personal thing. You must have an appointment with God at some time in your life where you realize you are lost and you need to be saved. The gospel spread because of Hudson Taylor through India, where he did missions in China. But they were severely and rudely, on a regular basis, criticized by people, Christian people. People who thought they knew better than they did. Five years after she was there, she marries this wonderful man and she thinks that ministry is going to be easy, but obviously it's not. She's already lost her parents. She had this in a journal. As to the harsh judgings of the world or the more, more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren, I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Let me just say this for everyone in the room, that we all know that if we're doing anything that's valuable, you're going to be criticized. If you're loving, you will still be criticized. Of their nine children, of Marie, Maria, and Hudson Taylor's nine children, only four survived to adulthood. But she believed that Ministry was a worthy cause for which to sacrifice your life. She had these words inscribed on her grave. For her to live was Christ and to die was gain. 
Most of us do not live that way anymore. Somehow things get messed up in our childhood and we have a wrong, incorrect view of who God is. We can't see God as being loving because of the flaws that we see in our own life or because things didn't turn out the way we thought they should turn out or because right now what you're going through in your life, you don't see God there. We are self-absorbed and have a very difficult time understanding that God is loving. How could a loving God possibly allow the things that he allows? We're here at 8.30 in the morning to practice for praise band, and I shared a really powerful story. I don't want to read it again because I have another story I want to read out of the book, Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. If you've ever been hurt, you should buy this book by Jensen Franklin. He happens to be one of my favorite preachers. And he shares how on Easter Sunday, a family is all excited about going to church. They're in a terrible, terrible car accident. Everyone but the father is thrown from the vehicle. Their oldest son dies. Their two youngest children are severely injured. It is not known whether any of them will live. Everyone except the oldest son lived. But they live in pain and the anguish of loss. It is difficult to believe that God loves. There are four Greek words that are translated love in the, in the English version of the Bible. The first one is storge. This love is kinship and loyalty among family members. It's familial love. When somebody asks you, what do you love and who do you love, most likely most of us would start out by saying, I love my wife or I love my husband or I love my parents or I love my siblings. It's a family love. The second area is phileo love, which is fondness, tenderness, affinity, or affection. It's friendship. It's having friends, that kind of love. The third love is agape. It's sacrificial, unconditional, principled love. It means commitment. If you get me as your friend, I can make you a promise. I will never unfriend you. It's the craziest thing. I hear people say it, and I see it. They put it online. Three people unfriended me today. Have a nice day. It's our way of showing people we don't like them anymore. Somehow I just can't picture that being what Jesus would do. And then there's eros love, which I think most of us get confused. It is erotic, intimate, romantic feelings. It's sexual love. It's the kind of love between two partners, a man and a woman. The dictionary defines love as a strong affection or an attachment or devotion to a person or persons. Now, see... Right off the bat, I would say, I love my wife. I don't even want to live without her, and she loves me. I love my children. I don't want to live without them, and they love me. Nick and Lexi are away on vacation. My wife said last night, I just miss Lexi. They need a break from us. Nick works under me. He needs a break. So I waited days to text him, and I said, I love you and my baby girl. I hope you're having a good time. And he texted back. It was a mirror. I love you too, Pastor. He still calls me Pastor. I'm like, you know, maybe in private you could say, Dad. (laughs) 
I, I love you too, dad, pastor, friend. It's, it's kind of strange, you know. It is. And I, I've said things to him about it, and I know it's just like extremely uncomfortable. Hey, dad. Like, really? So the biblical meaning has been found in 1 Corinthians 13 as we've studied together. It's truthful. It always rejoices in the truth. That is not how culture is built today. Culture is built to say, he deserved that. She got what she, she got what she gets, what she deserves, punishment. Instead of rejoicing with the truth, we rejoice with the truth for the wrong reason. Sustaining, it bears all things. It's trusting and believes all things. It's hopeful, it hopes all things. It's enduring, it endures all things. It's successful because love never fails. Romans 8, 28 says, Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think on these things. What love is not? It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not selfish. It's not rude. It's not irritable. It's not censorious. It's, it's not sin-loving. Wow. It's none of those things. There are some wrong notions about love that are out there. That feelings alone is the basis for love. You flipping the channels at your home, if you have cable, net, cable television, direct TV. 90-day fiancé. So it leaves you begging the question, what happens at the end of 90 days? Right? Doesn't it? 90 days is just about enough time to realize you don't want to be with that creep. Isn't it? So that's what it's all about. During those 90 days, they could never possibly tell whether they love each, each other or not because it's not possible to know if you love someone when you're having sex outside of the marriage relationship. It will always mess with your mind. I counsel all the people that I deal with, sex outside of marriage is not ordained by God, and you will not know whether you love the person or not. Knock it off. Step away so you know whether you really love them. Number two is physical attraction above all other decision-making factors. And everybody pawns this off like this. Well, I got to be attracted to her. That's why some people still aren't married. They haven't even checked off the attractive list. They've narrowed it down. No, not her. Not, not her. Not her. Not her either. Not her. No, no. And they don't realize the older they get, the shorter the list gets. Should you be attracted to her? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm sure of that. But listen, if it's only attraction, it's going to become only that. When she's no longer attractive, what are you going to do? All you had to do to figure that out is go to Walmart. <laughs> go to the fair. And I promise you, you're going to find that people don't always stay attractive. You know what? Yes, we somehow turn into different people. Ever look at people's wedding pictures and say, no. <laughs> really? Now, which one are you? <laughs> Not kidding. Somebody's already offended. Sexual attraction. Sex is not to be tested to determine whether you want to be married or not. And then there's this notion that love is blind. 
irresistible. Love is blind and irresistible. No, if you have any sense whatsoever, you're going to find out whether you want to be friends with that person for the rest of their life. So if you got the advance, which is about three pages thick now, if you live in this area and you get the advance, there was a lady going and putting them in our, our mailboxes yesterday. So I pulled it out and went through the couple pages that were in there. And Kathy Runyon, she's, the, I think, their only employee. She does everything. She does the sports. She writes all the special articles. She wrote an article about, about marriage and asking the question, is your partner your best friend? So you need to ask each other that question today sometime, not necessarily here, because I don't want any crying at this point yet. That's for later. Okay, so I asked my wife last night, I said, are you my best friend? Then, oh, who's your best friend? I asked my wife, what did you say? I am. Um, made me feel really good. I thought Lexi was. No. You know how that works sometimes? You actually, if you have kids, your kids are just closer to you than your own spouse. Yeah, it happens that way. So you need to make sure that you're living with your best friends. So actually, when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, because we're the end of it today. This is the end of the whole love thing. When you get to 1 Corinthians 13, it follows chapter 12, obviously, but there are no chapter divisions in the Bible. It's just all of this stuff is together in this particular book in 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul. Chapter 12, he says this, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And then he goes on to say this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent gifts. You should want to grow. You should want to change. My wife had a piano recital in here yesterday, and I was listening to the kids, and I was thinking, the dropout rate for piano students and kids that take an instrument in grade school is unbelievable. The switch rate is even greater yet. They start on piano and end up on the flute. Does anyone play the flute anymore? How many flautists do we have in the room? Pam Bartlett is. Raise your hands. One, two. Were there some back there in the dark that are afraid to claim it? No. No, the flute is amazing. And Pam was an amazing flautist. I think you call them flautists, don't you? Sounds like some kind of tortilla. But, or something Taco Bell would come up with. The flautist. He's a flautist. Full of beans. <laughs> Musical fruit. <laughs> Oh, God, how do I get off on these tangents? <laughs> My wife is all, if you'd stop telling stories, we would get more meat. <laughs> I like beans, too. So chapter 13 comes after chapter 12, and the problem is that people in the church of Corinth are jealous of somebody else's gifts. 
So they want to speak in tongues or they want to prophesy. Ever been to a charismatic church, a genuinely holiness charismatic church? People will stand up in the middle of the service and, and, and just start prophesying. Oh, I, I think uh, Scott Gibbons will turn into a fish if he fishes every Sunday. I've heard crazy things prophesied. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You should desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? Well, you go to chapter 13. He says, love is the greatest gift. It never fails. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will fail. Knowledge will pass away. We know in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will stop. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the things of childhood. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. So I want to stop there a second. When you were a child, you acted like a child. You acted like a baby. If you're still struggling with the sovereignty of God and getting messed up on a regular basis and need to go to counseling all the time, you need to think about this. Paul is saying, grow up. Stop. I want you to think about this this morning. What will be your epitaph? At the end of life. And if you died, what would people say about you? If you asked people what they actually think about you, would they think of a critical man or woman? That negativism comes out of their mouth all the time. How would people view you? It might be wise to go home and actually ask your kids, what do you think of me? Or ask your best friend, your wife, if you dare, because this is what I see in marriage these days. I see this distance in marriage which actually doesn't like being with your spouse. I can't imagine not having my spouse, and I'm, I love her dearly, and I want to be with her, and I would rather go to heaven first. She's my best friend. She's my rock. She's my strength. She's my comfort. She's my cheerleader. She's my critic, if need be. Too many people have this relationship that was not built on love. It was built on sexual attraction or physical attraction or something else, and they wonder why they literally hang out together and almost despise it. There's no talking anymore. And Paul says all these things are going to disappear, but here's the thing that stood out to me. All that's left is this. When it's all said and done out of prophesying and speaking in tongues and being a preacher, a teacher, all these things, all that's left is this. What do you see in the mirror? What do you see in the mirror? The mirror says it all. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the biggest critic of them all? Who's the most unloving of them all? Who struggles the most when you meet them? That hasn't had the victory to go from childhood to adulthood, to stop complaining and start helping, to find joy rather than sadness all the time, to understand that every circumstance leads to a decision that needs to be made in regard to why that happened and how it happened. Very important. Paul is saying, Corinthians, wake up. Something is wrong with us. We're always fighting. We're always sad. We're always carnal. What is carnality? It relates to physical, especially sexual needs and activities. This is what one commentator says about carnality. Carnal believers are moved easily. No one can occasion 
may be extremely excited and happy. On another occasion, very despondent and sad. In the happy moment, they judge the world too small to contain them. And so they soar on wings to the heavens. But in the sad moment, they conclude that the world has had enough of them and will be glad to be rid of them. Their lives are susceptible to constant changes for they're governed by their emotions. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Hmm. People come and they complain. Pray for us because we have this momentous thing and then another week later it's another momentous thing and two weeks later it's something else and then it's finances, then it's marriage, then it's my children, then it's how people treat me and how it's my job that I don't like and on and on and on and on and God is saying this, I want to see Christians that level out like this, that are level. What you see when you go to the mirror today says everything. Do you see a person who's blessed beyond measure because they're even alive? Do you see a person that's blessed beyond measure because they actually have two hands, two feet, they can smell, they can hear, they can see? Do you see that person? Woo, Jesus, come on now. Do you see a person that's blessed to be married? A person that's blessed to have children? A person that's blessed to have grandchildren? What you see in the mirror is what you get. How do you view yourself and God? How you view God will affect how you see yourself. Nothing is too hard for God. You believe that? We're going to speak. I'm challenging you to this this week. Speak positive, not negative. Speak good things, not bad things. Speak love into people anywhere you go. Speak something kind to someone in the service today. Speak into somebody else's situation instead of always being the person that needs counseling. You're going to, I'm telling you what you're going to see. You're going to see a destiny that is not what God would actually want for you. You know when you get say when you get to heaven none of that stuff that you thought was so important will matter. Too many people are governed by their emotions. Three important questions to ask today. The how question. How does God measure our lives? How do you think God measures our lives? Don't put the answer up there yet. Somebody raise your hand. How do you think God measures my life as an individual? Anybody want to take a shot at it? No, you're afraid. Anybody? How do you think God measures my love, my life? Oh, there, I gave away the answer. What do you, what do you think? I, I think, yeah, don't confuse happiness with love because I don't have to be happy to be loving. You won't always be happy. How could you possibly be happy if your, your entire family was in an accident and you're not even going to see some of them again? It's not possible to always be happy. Sometimes there's going to be sorrow. But it is possible to always be loving. You got that? Do you think love wins? Yes or no? Are you still with me this morning? Do you think that the better route would always be to say something loving rather than something unkind? The better route today would be, even though it's maybe against how you're wired, to say something really sweet to your spouse. Something really sweet, like, Becky, you're the most amazing woman that ever lived, the most wonderful mother and the most wonderful wife. Now you say something nice about me. (laughs) 
Well, that's the mirror. Okay, if you don't get the mirror effect, then I have a feeling she has something nice to say, don't you? What will it be? There you go. Okay, do you get the mirror thing? You're getting back what you're giving out. Yes, you are. You're getting back what you're giving out. If you're giving out love, you're going to get love back. I promise you. He said, no, I don't. I've tried it one morning. I got up and said to my husband, good morning. And he just looked at me like, what the heck is wrong with you? Because you didn't mean it. You don't want him to have a good morning. You want to tell him what in the heck is wrong with him. You want to give him an earful because he hasn't spoken to you for a long time. He always looks like a crab. There's a bunch of crabby-looking men in the room this morning. They're like, men don't smile. No. Go to the mirror and see what you see. The how question is, how does God measure our lives by love? The what question is, what is love? What is love? We are so confused about what love is. And the answer is this. Love is acting like Jesus would act. Mm-hmm. It's acting just the way Jesus would act. He would be patient and kind, the whole list of things. He would endure all things. He would respond correctly in any given situation. There's a lot of people going in and out today. Could you possibly hold it? It's just so distracting. The why question. Why does God measure our lives according to love? This is what I grew up in. I don't know about you, but if you stay with me a minute, I think you can relate. I grew up in this. Perform a certain way and you will be loved. I grew up in this. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't drink, don't swear, don't play cards, don't go to dances, don't go to movies, don't, 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 don't. When you take a young person, that is not very appealing. This is what I say. The consequences are sin or obvious, so you can make up your mind how you want to live your life. Live it out. But love. I believe that so many teenagers and young people go the wrong direction with their life because they never felt loved from their parents. They felt demands upon their life. Don't embarrass us now by doing something stupid. It doesn't work. No, it does not work. Love works. Love always works. Wives, take this. Start being loving to your husband and you'll get what you're giving. Husbands, the same thing. Start being loved. Right now, look at your spouse and smile. Children, that's not your spouse. That's your mother. <laughs> look at your spouse. Some people can't even look at each other. They go, I don't want to look at him. Gives me the creeps. I haven't looked at him in years. I'm not going to look at her. She gives me the creeps. You ought to know how mean she is to me. We got married. She used to bring me breakfast and breakfast in bed. She used to feed me grapes and fan me with palm branches. 
We're down to bare sticks now. She's not fanning me. She's whipping me. Not kidding. Not kidding. Love is the greatest thing of all. And this is how he ends the entire conversation about love. And now these three remain. There's only three left. Out of prophecies and tongues and all of these things that people were begging God to give them that gift in chapter 12, in chapter 13 he says, there's three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And you don't have to be very profound as a Bible scholar to understand this. You won't need faith and you won't need hope when you get to heaven. But you will need love. Your faith will become sight. All of those hopes you had will now be revealed in heaven, which is real. The greatest is love. I read an interesting article last week by someone that I don't think is a Christian, but said these are eight reasons why love is something you grow into, not something you feel immediately. Number one, you cannot actually love someone you don't know. Now, I would differ with that a little bit because you can love everyone, but we're talking about really say you love them. You can't love someone you don't know. Take the time to get to know other people. Get to know the people at work. Get to know people. Number two is love is something you create, not an emotion that arises out of thin air. Many people fall in love. Few know how to develop it into something that lasts. I believe the reason I love my wife the way she is for these 43 years is because we've stayed together. Yes, I do. We've stayed together and can't imagine being separated, can we? Number three, love is a connection, not an attachment. The emotion you feel immediately when you see someone is what attachment is born of. It's the idea that they can solve all your problems and give you the life that you always dreamed of. That's these 90-day fiancés are proving there's flaws in everyone. Number four, the real reasons to love someone are the ones you discover one at a time. These are the reasons why I love my spouse. And you could just rattle them off. Number five, the more you love someone, the more attractive they become. Is that true or not? You say, it ain't happening in my case. Can you cast a magical spell? Because my, my spouse was stricken with ugliness. I think it's eternal. No. Come on. Come on. There's something there that is attractive to you. And the more loving you treat them, the more attractive they become. Agree or not? When you assume that love is just a feeling that just happens, you're always at the whim of it rather than consciously creating it in your life. Number eight, you cannot open your heart to someone in one fell swoop. It happens over time. Number um, eight, I think I said eight, love is emotionally, emotional Compatibility, not sexual compatibility. It's emotional compatibility. You actually like being together. You actually like talking together. You actually like seeing the person. You actually like going on vacation with the person. Nick and Lexi are on vacation somewhere, and he put a picture, and he put some mushy words under there, and I thought, hmm, so that's what he really feels, and it makes me happy. He loves her. The result of that love happens to be a little baby that's going to be born in seven weeks and my wife is going to go bonkers. <clears throat> we have more pink 
clothing in our house than you could imagine. Anytime there's a sale on a pink thing, Becky's over there grabbing it. Their, their closet already has this because they showed us the baby's room has this many clothes in it, and Becky's got almost that many in our closet downstairs. I'm like, that girl's going to, she's going to poop her pants and have two, ten outfits in one day. Love is crazy. There's nothing wrong with that. Love is crazy. It makes you do crazy things when you love someone. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. He stopped them there. They thought, oh, that's right. Okay, he says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he went on and said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They hated Jesus. This is the way I see it in churches. I just heard again the other night about a church who kicked their pastor out, and he's only been there less than a year. And they kicked their last one out and the one before that, and on and on and on. Because churches got to be a certain way. This is what I say. Who cares what you wear to church? Just come. Right? Who cares what ethnicity you are? Just come. Who cares what sins you've committed in your past? Just come. Who cares what sins you might commit in the future? Just come. Let's never be a church that ostracizes and throws people out for their sin, but realize that God overlooks it all and says, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Then we get along pretty well, don't we? Paul said it, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Let's not ostracize, criticize, and throw people out. Let's have a party. You want a party? The people over here do, over there. Party. Is a greenhouse business calming down now, Phil? Settling down. Everybody's bought your plants already. It was like mid-summer weather this last week. When the California gold fever broke out, a man went there, leaving his wife and son in New England. As soon as he got on, it was successful with the gold fever thing. And it was a long time before he succeeded. He at last got enough money to send for his wife and son. In those days, the wife was so anxious and leaped for joy to be able to go see her husband. She took her boy and went to New York, got on a, a Pacific steamer and sailed to San Francisco. But on their journey, the boat went into flames. And there weren't enough lifeboats for everyone. It's a lot like the story of the Titanic. And, and her and her son could not get in a boat. So she cried out to the people in the boat below her and said, please, please, let my son go anyway. They said, we can make room for him, but not for you. She kissed her son goodbye and told him, I love you deeply. And she said, tell your father that I died in your place. A true mother loves her children, would do anything for them because love never fails. doesn't matter if they've messed up. doesn't matter what they've done. You are still there. He finished the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 
with those three things that matter the most in life, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. He said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There is a necessity in our life to have faith. How many of you stood this morning that you have something you're praying for, you really need God to intervene? Raise your hand all across the room. Raise them up. I want to see. You have something that God needs to supernaturally intervene for. My eyes are open, and I'm going to pray this. Expect, God, you would tell us to expect what's coming. Faith believes in the impossible. Expect it this morning. You want that? All right, let's go further on that just for a moment. You're expecting it so much that you're believing with all your heart it's going to happen soon. Stand up. The answer to your prayer is going to happen soon. I want to see. Going to happen soon. Wow. Expect it by faith to happen. Right? All of those that are standing say this with me. Yes. We receive it, Lord. You can have a seat. Yes, we receive it. We receive your blessing on us. Faith is taking God at his word. It's believing that we're saved by grace through faith. Faith is not just believing. It involves believing and acting upon that. You need to do something to see your miracle take place. And God has already told some of you what specifically to do, but you haven't yet done it because you're afraid of what might happen when you do it. Here's the answer for those people today. Do it. Do what you think is impossible to make this prayer become a reality. You need money? God owns everything, does he not? Your answer is coming. You need a, a spouse to be a, become a Christian, be saved? Believe it. You need a child that's gone away to come back to God? Believe it. Do, do you need joy in your life? Look in the mirror and put joy on your face and belief on your face, and it'll happen. Faith, hope, and love. Number two is... He said, what he said about eternal security, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Actually, number two is this, the importance of hope. So you got faith and you got hope. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is confident expectation. Faith believes that God can do. Hope believes that God will do. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon. The Bible says that the greatest of these is love. The greatest gift that you can receive is love. I left my illustration, I think, in my briefcase that I wanted to read. Can one of you grab my briefcase right there? Yeah, thanks, Zach. Zach's a good man. While he's getting that, I want to update you on a step of faith that I think we as a church need to follow through. We're almost finished with our youth building. Our goal is to have it done in six weeks. I believe it will be finished. We will work as a staff our, as much as we can possibly do ourselves. We will do. No, it's, it was on some paper. No, 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 no. First, oh, yeah. You're not far enough back. Open the flap back there. Left it on the counter. Good man. You ever read, it's okay, Zach. 
You ever read something about someone else and you think to yourself, that's me? Hmm? You ever read something and you're so positive that that's you? That's you in that scenario that God has directed you there to read this, to know that this is you. Now, today already, people can relate to what I'm talking about because you've lost something very dear. It's easy to be loving when everything is smooth, when everything is going your way. It's not so easy to be loving when things aren't going the way you had hoped and expected. But God is still God, is he not? Yes, he is. Close your eyes before the praise band comes back to sing. You need a supernatural act of God miracle this morning. And he wants to give it. He wants to send it to you. You are reaching out in faith and hope because eternity is not here yet. You're still alive on this planet. You still need to have faith. You still need to hope. But God says, I want you to be loving in the middle of it all because that's when your prayers will be answered. You need a miracle. And God is saying, take a step back. Love me with all of your heart. Love others, and I will bless you and answer your prayer. We need God. We're desperate for him. We are desperate for him. Are you desperate for God this morning? I want to ask this question in closing. You have never personally had a relationship with Jesus Christ in what is called salvation. If you were to die, you know that you've been a fairly decent person. You've tried to live your life and be a good person. But the bottom line is that you've never had an encounter, a personal appointment with God to accept Jesus Christ into your life by your faith. And this morning you say, I don't know for sure if I'd go to heaven if I die, but today is going to be my day. I want to know, Pastor. Raise your hand. I want to know. Anyone in the room? In this group? Anyone in the room? I don't know for sure, but I want to know. I want today to be my day. We will continue to pray to that extent. Let's sing together. Will you stand with me? Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the word that God has for you. We pray that you go out into the world now and you live differently, you act differently, and you love differently.